0: audience, as we do every Sunday morning, we have the privilege of broadcasting from this pulpit, not just locally, but all over the world, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that we live in a day that we have these technical advantages that other generations in days gone by did not have. It is not that they didn't have the message, they just didn't have the means of getting it out as we do today. So we're grateful for our internet Audience, I want you to turn with me in your Bible to the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. And I would like for you to do that because it doesn't make any difference what I think and it doesn't make any difference what I say. It does make a great deal of difference what God says in his book. And there's a message in the book for us this morning, 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah We'll be reading that in just a moment. The Bible is the greatest and most reliable autobiography of Almighty God there is. Now you think about that. The Bible is a book about God. It is a book for God. God. It is a book supplied by God to tell people all over the world what kind of God the Bible presents. And uh, that's what we want to deal with this morning, the God of the Bible. Now, some of these scriptures are pretty plain. Sometimes the scriptures are more plain in some areas of the Bible in scripture than others are. All of it is the inspired word of God. But I tell you, when you get to some of these descriptive titles that God gives us of himself, he's talking to us. It's an autobiography, not a biography. It's an autobiography. God is telling you what you can know about him and who he is and what he will do. So very important it is. Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now by turning the page over to chapter 44, you read these words in verses 6 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who is I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming, and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any and then in the 45th chapter of Isaiah, verses 5 through 6, and verses 21 through 22. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I the Lord do all these things. And then verses 21 and 22 of that same 45th chapter. Tell you, bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there's no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There's none beside me. Look unto me. Be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Over and over and over again. I am God and there is none else. Since Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, man has been busy manufacturing gods to be worshipped and is still being worshipped by many today. In the Old Testament, you find very important gods in the eyes of some of the people. You take, for instance, Dagon, that was the fish god, was worshipped by the Philistines. Baal, spelled B-E-L, that was the sun god, worshipped by the Babylonians. Diana was the moon god, she was worshipped by the Ephesians. Baal, spelled B-A-A-L, was the sex god, worshipped by the Moabites. Zeus worshipped the highest God in heaven, they thought, worshipped by the Greeks. Jupiter believed that the highest God in heaven was worshipped by the Romans. The commerce God was Mercury, worshipped also by the Romans. The unknown God was worshipped by the Athenians. The God of the Muslims is Allah. And his prophet Mohammed, the god of the Hindus, is Brahman. The god of Buddha at one time was worshipped by one-third of the population of the world. The prophet Confucius has been worshipped by millions of Orientals. David tells us that all of these gods, plus all other gods in the world are a big, fat, nothing. That's what they are. They're nothing. In the 115th Psalm, I want you to turn to that. Psalm 115. And notice the Scripture is very clear on this. Psalm 115, beginning with verse number 1. Not unto us, O Lord... Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, they see not. Ears have they, they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. Hands have they, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. That is in these gods. Verse 18 concludes that 115th psalm, but we, God's people, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. The scriptures that we've read for you in Isaiah tell us that there is but one God, and it is Jehovah Elohim, Savior, Creator. Is his name. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of the Bible. And the Bible tells us exactly what our God is like. Most people, including many professing Christians, do not know the God of the Bible. They do not know the God of the Bible. Some have a telescopic God. He's so far away, you can't see him. And you're squinting your eyes, ever looking to try and figure out, who is this God? Who is this God the Bible talks about? A telescopic God. And on the other hand, you have a microscopic God. Some people who uh, look and find God to be so small that he can't do anything, and he can't solve any problems. Pharaoh said to Moses, when Moses approached him and said, God said, the Lord said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? You'd be surprised. That's the theme song of many people today. I'm telling you, many of them are in Washington, D.C., in the White House. Oh, we're getting quiet already. Huh? Who is the Lord that I may obey Him? Paul mentioned it to the Athenians. When he visited that city, he found little gold gods and silver gods and tin gods and brass gods everywhere he looked. And finally he came across in Acts seventeen twenty three. he said, as I passed by and beheld your devotions... I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. That unknown God is Jehovah God and yet the people, the Athenians were ignorantly worshiping him. Atheists have tried to deny him. The fool has said in his heart There is no God. Humanists have tried to destroy him. Back in the 60's it was the God is dead movement. And that thing spread like wildfire. That God is really dead and you don't worry about this God in the Bible. At that particular time when I was doing a study, I ran across in the Reader's Digest an article which was a quote from Harry Fosdick. And Harry Fosdick was the former pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City. Now, you need to listen to what Mr. Fosdick had to say. He said, quote, Of course, our idea of God should change as we mature. And he goes on to say, I remember a student at Columbia who came to see me when I was pastor. He told me he did not believe in God. I said to him, so you're an atheist. Describe for me the God you don't believe in. He was surprised. But he did a good job picturing God as a kind of venerable bookkeeper who takes note of everyone's good and bad deeds. When he finished, I said, my boy, that makes two of us. I don't believe in that God either. Mr. Fosdick continued by saying that there were many ideas of God that should die. We have to leave primitive concepts, he said, behind as man advances. Certainly the king of glory ruling the universe from a golden throne is dead. That's not coming from a professional agnostic. That's coming from a pastor of a church in New York City. The God that walked in the Garden of Eden is dead too. Unquote. In our modern world, he continued, the God who is on our side has to die as must the God of battles. Who would have us to kill for his sake? What place has such a God in the age of the bomb? I presume he was talking about the atomic bomb or the hydrogen bomb. Perhaps the hardest God, he says, perhaps the hardest God to bury is the one who makes things come out right. It takes real maturity to get rid of him. Modernists have tried to dethrone the God of the Bible. That is, they've tried to change the God of the Bible. No longer is he king and creator, he's become our co-pilot. We don't even do him the decent respect to make him the pilot. He's the co-pilot. And from fearing him, which we should, we've changed it over to just be familiar with him. And from his absolute sovereignty, we've milked it down to sentimentality. From the God of all creation, we call him the man upstairs. I never will forget the statesman quartet. Many years ago, many years ago, I said, many years ago, had a song, Jake Hess took the lead on it, Have You Talked to the Man Upstairs. That is utter blasphemy. Now, let's think quickly about some characteristics of the God of the Bible. Not as men think him to be, but what God says about himself in his word. Characteristics of the God of the Bible. Number one, he is sovereign. Yes, ma'am. God is absolutely sovereign. And you find in Daniel 4, verses 34 through 35, a good example of that. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king over Babylon for many years and uh, God taught him a lesson, turned him into an animal of the field and he ate like an animal of the field until he got his senses back and Nebuchadnezzar learned one of the greatest lessons in all of his entire life. And you find that lesson in verse 34 and 35 of Daniel chapter 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and notice mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Now, folk, God Almighty, the God of the Bible, is going to do just exactly what he wants to do. Because he's absolutely sovereign. It is a highly Armenian concept that says that God cannot do that which man will not allow him to do. That's of the devil. God Almighty is absolutely sovereign. I was reading this last week a sermon from Charles Spurgeon and the title of that sermon was The Smallest Trifles. Now is that a word that, well, the older people know probably what a trifle is. I'd forgotten all about it. I looked it up in the dictionary to make sure it was on the right track. A trifle is the insignificant little things that amount to little. It's little bitty nitpicking things that don't amount to anything. And Mr. Spurgeon preached a sermon on it. He called it the smallest trifles are the are arranged by the God of providence. Even the little insignificant things, God arranges them and brings them to be. He uses this particular verse in Ephesians 1.11. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. He says it's most important for us to learn that the smallest trifles are as much arranged by the God of providence as the most momentous events. They're arranged by God. He who counts the stars has also numbered the hairs of our head. Our lives and deaths are predestinated, but so also are our sitting down and our rising up. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wants it to move. I believe that every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its ordained orbit as well as the sun In the heavens. I believe that the chaff from the hand of the winnower is as much steered by God as the stars in their courses. I believe in the creeping of an amphid over a rose bush is as much fixed as the march of a devastating pestilence. I believe the fall of a leaf from a poplar tree is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. My, my. He's a God of all things. He is an absolute sovereign God. Not only does the Bible present him as the sovereign God, he is the controller of life and death. There can be no death without his permission. There can be no life without his permission. He's the controller of life and death. Current events... Do not surprise God. Now, boy, they do shock us sometimes. This refinery and this pipeline over on the eastern coast of the United States got bombarded by the enemy, and uh, those folks over there don't have any gas no oil. Like, what's going to do? I tell you, what's going to do? Make gas about ten dollars a gallon or more. And boy, we get uh, these little old events. It's under the control of God Almighty. In Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse thirty-nine, see now that I listen, folks. Listen to the Bible here. See now that I even I am He, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. He's the controller. Of life and death. Did not. Job. Say the Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Now before Joel Osteen. Became God of Houston. And the world in many cases. I used to listen to his daddy preach. And when his daddy just before he died. He got Joel over to. Uh, the sighed and said, Now, Joel, I expect you take over the ministry. Joel said, I don't want the ministry. I don't have anything to do with it. I have other plans and other things I want to do. But I heard Joel Osteen's daddy make the statement preaching on television that when Job said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, he said Job was just shook up a little bit, and he wasn't quite sure about what he said. Really what he was trying to say is the Lord gives, but the devil takes away. No, dummy. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's the controller of life and death. Now, hang on to this one. God, the God of the Bible, sends people to hell. I'm so glad he doesn't send all people to hell. But God does send people to hell. Now we've tried to water that down by saying, well, God never sends anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. Back up. It is God who gives life. It is God who takes life. It is God who sends people to hell. Does the Bible present that kind of God? Matthew chapter 10 verse number 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God sends people to hell. God is holy. He is a holy God a little verse that sometimes we jump over is Leviticus 19, verse 10. 2, I am the Lord, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is absolutely holy in everything that He does and in everything that He is. He cannot keep from being holy because He's God. He is a holy God. It concerns concerns who He is and what He does. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? Well, if you could dig up the ashes of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd tell you what that means. God is a consuming fire. And then, this is a pleasant note, and I'm so glad it's a part in describing the God of the Bible he is yet plenteous in mercy. The God of the Bible. Why would He put up with mess like us? You, you I did a bunch of nothing, and that's what we are as human beings—do totally depraved. Why would God put up with if He were not a God of mercy? Let me read a little bit about the mercy of God in the book of. Uh, Psalms 86, Psalm number 86, verses 1 and following. David is praying. He says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I know you to be holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplications In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. He's a God of mercy. And he hears those who call upon him in truth and in desperation. He is holy. He's a consuming fire. And he's plenteous in mercy. Now then, what is our responsibility to the God of the Bible? Do we have a responsibility to the God of the Bible? Number one, God is to be remembered. Another way to say that is God is never to be forgotten. God is to be remembered. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1, Remember now thy creator. How do you suppose you got here? God made you. God made me. God made Adam and Eve. God makes people. And we're never to forget that. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Because after a while we get old and crusty. And nothing moves us as much as it used to. While you're young and your mind sharp. Remember the Lord. Young people remember the Lord. Don't forget God. It's more important than anything else in the world. God is to be remembered. Not only is He to be remembered, but He is to be feared and obeyed. Not with the kind of fear that you're afraid of everything and you don't want to look right or look left because you know something terrible is about that, but the fear that talks about respect for who He is and who we're not. We're not God. He is God. And everything He does is right. And my dear friends, we would be in a lot of trouble if there were no God. A God who cares. He's to be remembered. He's to be feared. He is to be obeyed. And then God is to be loved. Do I love the Lord? I love Him. Do I love Him as much as I should? No, perhaps, and neither do you. But we need to love the God of the Bible. I love Him. I'm glad I'm not wandering in the field of idolatry worshiping the gods of the Babylonians and the gods of the Amorites and the gods of the Hittites. I'm so glad I'm not a Buddhist. I'm so glad, my dear friends, that God showed me who he is in his word and opened up my heart and opened up my life to not only know who he was, but to trust him with all that I have. He's the God of the Bible. Now, let me ask you this. Do you love him? Do you love him? In Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, verse 37, some of the Pharisees came to him in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and said, which is the greatest of the commandments? And he said, the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Now, I want you to think. Do you love him that way? With all thy heart. With all thy mind. And with all thy strength. Even though this was written primarily to the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. It is a very good and needed thing that we need to read in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I want you to listen to this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when you sit in your house. We don't do too much sitting in the house anymore, do we? but when you happen to just once in a while sit in your house, talk about the Lord, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you get up, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. You will write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates." I like especially the phrase that says when you lie down and when you rise up. I think, church, it's a good thing. The last person you talk to before you go to sleep, you need to talk to the Lord. Not that talking with your husband or talking with your wife or talking to your children is not important. But I wonder many, many times how many times we go to bed and we're so tired and we go to sleep and we don't even say good night to God? Who is responsible for giving you everything you have? If you're successful, God made you successful. If the things you do are being blessed and profiting you, God has brought that about. When's the last time you talk to him at night? Now, I tell you a good time to talk to him is when you wake up. Usually we don't say, oh God, when we wake up. We say, oh me, another day. Two blessed times to talk to the Lord. He's to be loved He is to be loved. He is to be praised. Praise the Lord. In Psalm 150, verse number 6. Pardon me, it's such a a short one. In Psalm 150, the last psalm in the Bible. Let me turn over to it quickly. And read it for you. It says, praise ye the Lord. That's how it starts off. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. And I don't, I have no, I'm not averse to blowing the trumpet. If I had one, I'd blow it this morning. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with a timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath... Now, He's going to disqualify some folk here. Dead people don't praise Him. And I'm telling you, we got a bunch of dead Baptists never praise Him either. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Thirteen times in that short little passage, only six verses long, thirteen times praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you know you can do that driving down the road? Now it's hard to do it if you're on this road out here in front of our church. It's kind of preoccupied when you get out there and on South Broadway. And No, no. When you go down the road, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You get up, things are going right, praise the Lord. Things are going wrong, praise the Lord. That's the God of the Bible. He is to be praised. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. God is to be worshipped. Worship the Lord in the beauty. Could I ask you a question? Some folks go to church more than others. Yep, that's right. And we're not calling names this morning. You know, the preacher doesn't have to call names. God knows your name. How much do you go to church? What does it take to keep you out of church? Well, you don't understand. I've got this to do. I'm asking you a question if you don't go to church very much, I don't believe you worship God very much. Because most of our worship comes from being together in church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord that I might worship God. I'm not saying you cannot worship God, but I'm saying worship comes pretty difficult when you don't come to church. And you're here today. And that's a good thing. But come next Sunday too. And come the Sunday after that too. And just keep on coming every Sunday. Be in God's house. Be church attenders. Worship the Lord. I had a man tell me, he said, Brother Cozart, you're never going to have many friends. I said, I don't have many friends now. I'm telling you, folk. We're, we're skating on dangerous foundations and on thin ice by taking God for granted. Oh, he, he'll he be there when I need him. We need him today. I've never seen this nation in such trouble as we are in. It's right now. We need the Lord. Need to be worshiped. And then God is to be served. Serve the Lord with gladness. Isn't it good not only to come to church, but to have an opportunity to serve the Lord in the church. And then God is to be trusted. You can trust the Lord because He never, never makes a mistake. In the book of Proverbs, chapter number 3, verses 5 through 6, And verse number 7, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Trusting in the Lord. I do believe that man will either yield and submit himself to the God of the Bible. Or he will be destroyed by the God of the Bible. Who is this God? That we're talking about. And I'm not going to keep you any longer. Who is this God that we're talking about? There's one statement in Colossians 2.9. That says for in him. Now listen to it. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that him is speaking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Paul the writer says that in Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Did you not know that Jesus Christ is God Jesus Christ is the God of the Bible Jesus Christ is the creator God of Genesis and also chapter 1 of John that in him dwelleth the full God the this this God of the Bible takes up abode in Jesus he is God almighty and if that be so Why don't people trust him? For this same God, this same Christ, became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God by faith in him. Folk, let's think a little bit more about the Lord. Let's trust him more. Let's talk about him more. Let's not forget him. Let's live day by day calling on his name, praising him, and thanking Him for His mercy, which is everlasting. Let's stand, please, for prayer.